Hi there, I'm Sue Alves from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 144. And today I want to talk about reading out loud. And also, I have a few more thoughts about Christmas presents to share with you, probably at the end of this podcast. A week or so ago, a friend on Instagram left a comment asking me about our reading out loud process. She said, should we have a time built into the flow for reading out loud? How do we choose our books? And what if our reading time crowds out other projects our children are working on individually? So I have structured this podcast around those questions. And what I'll be sharing is just our experience as a family, what reading out loud means to us. Of course, all families are different, all children are different. I am sure that there are children who don't enjoy sitting down and listening to a story. And why I am sure about that is because I was one of those children. Even today, I don't really like listening to the family read alouds. Yes, I'll sit there while my husband's reading out loud, or maybe one of my older children are reading a book but I'll have to have something to do at the same time. My mind wanders. I wonder if that has got anything to do with my experiences with reading out loud as a child. Now, I don't remember anyone reading to me when I was a young child. I learned to read at an early age, probably four, and after that I read to myself. And the only people who did read aloud to me were teachers. And so reading out loud was associated with listening carefully at school. Yes, if I didn't listen carefully, I might be caught out. Yes, the teacher might ask some questions after she finished reading out loud, and I wouldn't be able to answer them. I can remember a time when I was supposed to be listening at school, And I wasn't really listening at all. And I got cut out afterwards. Yes, the teacher asked some questions and I couldn't answer them. The teacher wasn't reading herself at the time. She was playing us a recording. And I once wrote about this in a blog post. I said, when I was an 11-year-old student, our teacher got out her tape recorder and played us a current affairs radio program. It was a hot summer's afternoon, late in the day, and I felt sleepy. I didn't even try to concentrate on the program. I spent the half hour I should have been listening, daydreaming instead. Apparently, almost all my fellow students did the same thing, and the teacher must have suspected that our minds were not on the world news, but far away in dreamland. Once she turned off the recording, she looked sternly at us and then gave us an impromptu quiz. I had absolutely no idea about the answers. It was a horrifying moment. I'd been caught out completely. So I guess reading out loud for me was always associated with having to sit still and listen just in case I was asked a question. It wasn't something that I had a choice in. 
It wasn't something pleasurable. It was something I was forced to do. And so these days, yes, I don't really enjoy listening to stories being read out loud. But I'm getting better. As an adult, I've listened to some audiobooks. Jane Austen read out by good speakers. And yes, I have enjoyed those. But generally, my mind wanders. And I certainly don't enjoy listening as much as my children do. Yes, all of my children love reading out loud time. And I wonder if that's got something to do with the fact that I don't question my children. I don't give them questionnaires afterwards. I don't make them write book reviews. I don't make them do associated assignments Reading out loud is just a pleasure of its own, something that is to be enjoyed. There's no other reason for it. Of course, my kids learn a lot by listening, but that's not the main thing. Now, we do a lot of reading out loud, even though almost all my children have grown up. My youngest daughter is 14, and she still likes to sit down and listen to me read out loud. Even when my kids got the skills to read to themselves, I continued reading out loud to them. I don't think that kids ever get too old for listening. And there's something absolutely wonderful, isn't there, about sharing a story. My kids enjoy waiting for the next installment, anticipating what will happen next, discussing their favorite bits. It's a family thing. All my kids gather to enjoy a story. Usually I enjoy it most if I'm the one doing the reading. And then I do enjoy the whole experience. I guess my mind has to focus because I've got the words in front of me. You might know that I have tried a number of different homeschooling methods, even though we started as unschoolers and we returned to unschooling and have been unschooling for many years. There have been times, especially for my older children, when they experienced other things. And years ago, when my eldest daughter maybe was about nine years old, I used reading out loud as a bribe, a reward for work done. I think back to our early days of homeschooling. I can see Felicity Duncan and Callum crowded around me as I read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. One more chapter, please, Mum, they would beg. When you've done some maths, I'd reply. I had discovered that my children were quite willing to do the things on my essential learning list if I bribed them with another chapter of our current book. So after every task accomplished, I'd read out loud. We got through a lot of books. I guess I treated reading out loud as the dessert of education rather than the main course. If my children got through the important, meaty stuff like maths and spelling, the things I wanted them to do, they were rewarded with the sweet course. But of course I came to realize that that was the wrong approach to reading out loud. Reading out loud is the meaty stuff for a lot of children. So over the years, we have read a lot of books out loud. Have I had any trouble persuading my kids to come and listen? Well, no. Though, as my kids have got older, depending on the book, 
They have chosen to go off and do other things, but they've always listened to something. For the last year or so, I've been sharing books with just Gemma Rose, who is, as I said, fourteen. We worked our way through the whole Jane Austen series together. Sitting down together at the beginning of the day and reading those books was a special time of day for us. But that hasn't meant that my other children haven't also listened to some things that they might not have listened to those books. They might have chosen to go off and do other things. They might even have been too busy with work or whatever. But they still listen each day to the Bible readings that I read, the meditations that come after the readings, and at the moment they're listening to the Jesse Tree readings. And I don't force them to listen. They want to listen. Listening is still associated with pleasure. It's something we do as a family. It's important. Yes, so kids can listen or not. And as they've got older, they haven't listened as much. But sometimes they return when they hear a favorite story. I issue invitations for reading times. If somebody does want to listen and it's not convenient, we can work around that. Find a mutually acceptable time. The only requirement is that reading times have to be regular. I'm willing to read when it suits everybody, but it is frustrating when children do want to listen, but they keep making excuses. This isn't a good time, and nor is this day, and nor is that day. Other children have to wait a long time between chapters. We all forget what's happening. The story drags on. So yes, even though I try and accommodate everybody, we all have to make a regular commitment if we want to listen to a story, and that includes me, because I can find a lot of reasons why I can't read today or tomorrow or the next day. I have to be willing to sit down and read on a regular basis. Sometimes the best time for reading out loud is in the evening. My husband Andy has read the Lord of the Rings trilogy to my older children and to my middle children, though he has never read it to my younger ones. They're still waiting. He used to read when he got home from work. He'd have his dinner, then he would get out the book, and then he would call anybody want to come and listen, and everybody would. They would all come running, settle themselves down in the living room, and he would begin. And that was a very special time of the day, both for Andy and our children. Andy is a good reader. He puts on all the voices. Sometimes, when my children have listened to other people reading the same stories out loud, they haven't enjoyed it so much. They say that the voices sound all wrong. Dad's voices are the best. I'm not so good at voices. I tend not to do them. I think my husband Andy is a better reader than I am. But by listening to both of us, our children have picked up a lot of reading out loud skills, and I want to talk about that in a minute. So, should we have a time built into the flow of our day? Well, I think we have to have regular reading times if we ever want to get to the end of a book. If we want the whole process to be enjoyable for everybody, but we can be adaptable. We can try and find times that suit everybody. What if this time crowds out other projects our children are working on individually? 
Again, we can work around that. I have found that my children will put aside whatever they're working on in favor of listening when it comes to reading out loud time. How do we choose books? Well, sometimes I suggest some of my old favorites. Sometimes my kids hear about books and suggest that we might read them together. My older kids suggest books for their younger siblings. If I hear about a book that I think sounds interesting, I might make a note of it and then ask my kids, would you like to listen to that story? If we have watched a TV series based on a book, I might say, shall we read the book? And quite often that's what they want to do. They want me to find a copy of the book and read it out loud to them. We can discover if the book and the series are the same or whether a lot of changes have been made. One TV series that comes to mind is Charles Dickens's Little Dorrit. We watched that. It was really good and enjoyed it immensely. And then I suggested that we read the book, which we did. I think we enjoyed both the book and the TV series. Sometimes it happens that way. I think the most important thing about choosing books is to be willing to stop reading a book. If we find a book isn't working for us, if nobody is enjoying it, then we put it aside and read something else. We don't have to finish a book. We don't have to make ourselves read it and listen to it before we can try something new. There are thousands and thousands of books, lots of choice. Why waste time on a book that isn't speaking to us, a book that we don't particularly like? And sometimes a book might suit one or two children, but it won't suit everybody. And then I will read that book out just to the children who are interested. We can have more than one book on the go at a time. I used to read a book to everybody and then also read a book just to my younger children. Or it could happen that I could just read a book to the older ones, I suppose. And I think we should choose a variety of books. We don't have to keep reading the same sort of books. The books we read don't have to be classics, for example. They don't all have to be Jane Austen or Charles Dickens or some other famous author. We can read contemporary books. We can read lightweight books, books that we might throw away afterwards. I can remember reading a series of books about a mermaid to my younger children quite a few years ago. And yes, they were just light-hearted stories, no real literary value, but we got a lot of pleasure from reading them. And I guess we still learnt something from them. Maybe the experience of reading out loud shouldn't just be about what we're learning from the book. Reading out loud can just be a family experience, an experience that draws us closer together, having special time together, snuggling up on the sofa together with a good book. Any type of book can be read out loud, even a picture book. Now, we might associate picture books with little children, but I've continued buying them as my kids have got older. Right at this moment, there's a pile of Christmas picture books sitting on our coffee table. They're waiting there for somebody to come along and discover them, open one of the books up, 
and sit down and be enjoyed. Some kids might not enjoy listening to books being read out loud, but if your kids do enjoy it, I bet there comes a day when they'll want to read out loud to everyone else. And as I said, I like being in the reader's chair. I much prefer reading out loud to listening, but I have discovered that I have to give up my chair sometimes. I have to be willing to move over, let my children climb into that chair and read the stories for me, read the stories to me. I guess it's good. I can practice my listening skills instead of my reading out loud skills. While I'm listening, I usually do something. I keep my fingers busy. Gemma Rose read all the Jane Austen books out loud to me. That took a long time. We had a special reading out loud time every morning for months and months and months. And while I was listening to those books, I embroidered. I have a red stitch embroidery on the go. I've been working on it for a very long time. It's quite an intricate embroidery. I used a Joanna Basford uh, colouring in drawing for my embroidery. There's lots of details, and I'm embroidering it on calico with one colour, red embroidery thread. I like embroidering with just one colour. I don't have to keep looking at a guide and thinking about changing colours. I find it very relaxing. And I did enjoy embroidering while Gemma Rose was reading the Jane Austen books to me. I would like to say that I finished my embroidery at the same time that she finished the books. But no, that didn't happen. I've still got a little bit of that embroidery left to do. But I think about that embroidery as my Jane Austen embroidery. It is associated with lots and lots of memories of sitting together with Gemma Rose and enjoying Jane Austen. How did Gemma Rose get on reading out those books to me? Did she read them well? Well, yes, she did. It wasn't difficult to listen along. But it wasn't always that way. When our kids first start reading out loud, of course, they don't have very good skills. We might do a lot of complaining. You missed a word there. You didn't pronounce that word right. Slow down. I can't understand what you're saying. Being the listener involves a lot of patience. But the only way our kids improve their reading out loud skills is by practicing. We have to be patient. We have to give them the chance to read out loud. Now I want to finish talking about reading out loud by sharing with you a story called The Reading Out Loud Experiment. And it's all about how Gemma Rose learnt how to read out loud so that now she can do that very well. I guess it's also a story about what I learnt while she was learning to read out loud. So I'm going to read the story. There might be a few things to discuss afterwards. The Reading Out Loud Experiment Some time ago, Gemma Rose asked, Can I read to you, Mum? She settled herself next to me on the sofa, excited because she was in the reader's chair. She smiled at me and then started the first chapter of the book she'd chosen. Hey, slow down, I said, almost immediately. I can't hear all the words. When you're reading out loud, 
you have an audience. They need to be able to understand every single word. Gemma Rose stiffened. She flashed her eyes at me and then read the next sentence in a very gruff voice, very, very slowly. Well, if you're going to read like that, perhaps we should leave it for another day. I received another scowl before Gemma Rose picked up the pace and began reading in a more normal voice. Then she mispronounced a word, and I corrected her. My youngest daughter grunted the word back at me. Don't you want to know the right way to say the words, I asked. I guess so, she muttered. Gemma Rose continued reading, and anticipating she might not know a word in the next sentence, I jumped in and said it for her. I knew how to say that word. Sorry. Reading went smoothly for a time, and then, as Gemma Rose became engrossed in the story, she forgot to say all the words. Maybe she read them in her head, but I couldn't hear them. You missed out some words. Gemma Rose huffed and puffed before continuing, and then she ended a sentence with a wrong word. She did it more than once. That's not what the author wrote. You have to read the words as they are written. Occasionally, she left out a whole line by mistake. Oh my, things were not going well. Gemma Rose was no longer bouncing about with excitement. She was stiff and very, very grumpy. And I wasn't very happy either. I wondered if perhaps we should forget reading out loud together. Then I had another idea. I decided to do a reading out loud experiment. What would happen if I didn't correct Gemma Rose anymore? Just let her enjoy the reading experience. Would her reading aloud skills improve without any interference from me? Would she gradually come to moderate her pace and say the correct words on her own? I thought it was worthwhile trying this experiment. What was the alternative? Gemma Rose would start to hate her reading out loud times with me and not want to do it. No, we didn't have much to lose. So for 18 months, Gemma Rose and I settled ourselves on the sofa together each morning with a book. And as she was reading, I tried to ignore all the mistakes she was making. Instead, I just observed. I thought about the mechanics of reading. One day, I began to wonder if her mistakes were all that significant after all. Gemma Rose read too fast and sometimes left out words. Was this because she was engrossed in the story? Her mind was probably racing along at a furious pace. Sometimes she left out a whole line of words and didn't even realise. Was she scanning a few lines at a time? Probably she'd read the missing words in her head, so she didn't even notice she hadn't said them out loud. Gemma Rose ended a sentence with a wrong word. Could her mind have been jumping ahead, trying to make sense of the sentence? I think she was anticipating a likely word. Maybe she was right most of the time, but those times she was wrong, her sentences still made sense. The author could have chosen the word she supplied. 
And when Gemma Rose did make some kind of mistake, which didn't make sense at all, she always backtracked without any prompting from me. That's better. It makes sense now. She'd smile, pleased she'd corrected her error. I could have placed my finger under every single word, and then Gemma Rose would have read them all perfectly. I'm sure. I could have smiled and felt proud of her reading ability. But I don't think perfect word-for-word reading actually says much about a child's reading skills. My husband Andy is a primary school teacher. Every now and then, he has to give his students a standardized reading test. The student reads, and Andy notes all the words that are mispronounced, or left out, or are unable to be read, or are substituted with different words. He notes the rate of reading. To get a perfect score, the student has to read the story as the author wrote it, word for word, in a certain amount of time. I don't think this kind of reading test tells us if a child is reading for meaning. A good reader will be scanning ahead quickly, making guesses as to what word is going to come up next, thinking about the words as belonging to sentences. I think this standardized test might as well be given as a list of individual words. It says nothing about the real ability of a child to read for comprehension and enjoyment. Yesterday morning, shall we find out what happens in the next chapter of your book? I ask Gemma Rose. Oh yes, soon we are settled side by side with the book between us. Half an hour later, I say, "Wow, you're a good reader. Do you remember when you used to leave out words?" Gemma Rose grins. Well, it didn't matter. You could read them for yourself. You could see the page too, but now I can listen with my eyes shut. Yes, Gemma Rose, who was always a good reader, can now read out loud very capably, and all I did to help her was to sit back and not interfere. Is it your turn to read to me now? Asked Gemma Rose. Oh yes, I did do one other thing. I kept reading to her. Reading that story does remind me that we had two different types of reading out loud sessions. I'd read out loud to my children, and then I would step back, and they would read to me. And both types of reading were enjoyed by my children. They chose to listen to me reading out loud, and they asked if they could read to me. Reading that story made me feel really self-conscious. Did I read it out loud so that everybody could understand? Yes, that's what I was thinking. Reading out loud is a big skill. Obviously, some people are better at it than others. Some people are natural readers. I don't think I fall into that category. I sometimes wonder if I have a little bit of a lisp. I find I have to work my mouth a lot in order to get the words out. And maybe my accent also gets in the way of people understanding what I'm saying. But of course, that's not a problem with my own children. But anyway, I guess we just do the best we can. Keep on practicing. We all get better. I just want to quote one more sentence from that story before finishing. 
when I started correcting Gemma Rose, this is what happened. Oh my, things were not going well. Gemma Rose was no longer bouncing about with excitement. She was stiff and very, very grumpy. And I think that reading out loud has to be exciting. When it gets to be a chore, then something is wrong. Perhaps we can change our approach. Perhaps our kids no longer want to sit and listen. Whatever the reason is, if we have to force our kids to listen, if it becomes a chore, then probably we should leave it for a while. Otherwise, we're going to spoil reading, spoil all those books, spoil our special family time together. Just as I was about to close that story, the number 18 caught my eye. So for 18 months, Gemma Rose and I settled ourselves on the sofa together. 18 months is a long time. Learning to read out loud doesn't happen overnight. We have to have a lot of patience. So maybe when our kids are learning, parents are also learning. We're learning different things from our children, but it's a learning experience for everyone. So I hope I answered those questions that were left for me on Instagram in enough detail. Yes, that's our family's process when it comes to reading out loud. Maybe your family will be different, but it's always good to share ideas, to hear about what other people are doing, isn't it? So I would like to hear about your reading out loud experiences too. So very well, me sitting here and sharing mine, but how about sharing yours? You could go over to my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, or stop by on Instagram, and maybe we could continue the discussion. I would like to return to last week's topic now, Christmas presents. I wonder what you thought of our approach. I didn't really mention anything spiritual last week. I was just talking about the process of buying each other gifts. But of course, buying gifts isn't the whole story. So after I published last week's podcast, a few days later, I went to my blog and I wrote more about Christmas present giving. Now, I'm not going to read the whole story, but there is a paragraph there. And I wrote, and I realized that every Christmas is an opportunity to make sacrifices for others. Christmas is not about reducing the workload or stress for myself. It's about doing things out of love, making others happy, and putting smiles on little faces. This is part of my spiritual Christmas preparation. And I included a quote in that blog post. It was written by Eugene Boylan, and I found it in his book, The Tremendous Lover. Now, I'm going to read the quote because somebody stopped by my blog and left a comment associated with this quote. So the quote goes like this. Consider for a moment the sacrifices the parents have to make to make Christmas all that tradition says it should be for their children. The expense, the worry, the trouble, the patience, the fatigue, the bitterness of financial limitations to one's power of gratifying a child's dream. The list is endless. 
Think alone. What is involved in Christmas shopping? Where a large family and a small income are involved. And the thought can easily arise, especially for the detached Christian. Is it all worth it? Of course it is all worth it. It is done in memory of Christ. It is done to build up an idea of Christ. It is done for Christ. It is done to Christ. Amen, I say to you, whatsoever you did to these, my least brethren, you did it to me. When the new year brings an end to those halcyon days for the children, this service done to Christ is the consolation that the parents should have in facing the expense. Again, I didn't read that out loud very well, but I think you might get the idea. And then somebody stopped by this morning and left a comment on that quote. And it was an interesting comment because it made me think a lot. Yes, do all to the glory of God. Sing of Christ, tell of Christ, give to the poor. Hey, even put up lights in honor of Christ. Sure, fine, makes sense. But when did buying yet more luxuries for the world's wealthiest children become synonymous with giving to the least of these? I'm interested in your thoughts on this. The comment was good because I think we all need to think more. It's good to pose questions, to discuss things. Yes, I did ponder that comment a lot while I was running this morning. Yes, why do we buy gifts for kids who already have a lot when there are lots of people in the world who don't have a fraction of what our children have? It doesn't seem to make any sense at all, does it? And I'm grateful to the person who left that comment. Because as I said, I do like thinking about things. And we should ask questions. We should learn from each other. Perhaps I was on the wrong path. That's always something to consider. So what I would like to do is read out my answer. And maybe when I get to the end of the answer, you might not agree with what I've said. Maybe I'm still wrong. But that's okay. Because maybe you will stop by and add your own thoughts. And we can, as I said, learn from each other. So I said, Eugene Boylan was a Trappist priest who was born in 1904. I imagine he wrote these words primarily for people with a large family and a small income. That's a quote from the quote. He wasn't thinking about today's society where many families are smaller and there is more money for not only Christmas, but for everyday living as well. By using the quote, I am applying it to my own situation. So maybe if there is a flaw, it lies in how I'm using the words. Yes, maybe there's nothing wrong with the quote. It's just the way I'm using it, the way I am interpreting those words. Anyway, I've been thinking about gifts. To be a gift, I think there needs to be some kind of sacrifice involved. We have to freely give something to someone else that has cost us time or effort or thought, or maybe even all of them. This makes a gift valuable, a physical sign of our love. Our family is certainly not poor, but we do have to be very careful with our money. There are a lot of expenses involved with living a seemingly affluent life. Healthcare costs, rents or mortgages, power bills, car expenses. We don't have much money left over for luxuries such as holidays. We do make sacrifices so we can have an abundant Christmas. Of course, we need to include other people in that abundance, especially people less fortunate than us. 
and I added in brackets, I know there are degrees of wealth and we do consider ourselves well off because we have never wondered where our next meal is coming from. I do appreciate that. There is no way that we can call ourselves poor. But that doesn't mean we don't juggle our money. Yes, some people may be so wealthy, they are able to buy loads of gifts for their kids, and maybe these aren't appreciated. What indeed does this have to do with God? Perhaps people with more money have a harder time thinking of ways to make sacrifices in order to give true gifts to their kids, so that the Christmas season is both meaningful and magical. Parting with money is easy, especially if we have lots of it. But do we need to give gifts? Why not just give our money to the poor? Christmas reminds us that we have all been given an infinite gift that we didn't deserve. God's generosity is beyond our understanding. Maybe we need to imitate that generosity, even in our own small way. We could tell our kids that we're not giving them gifts. It's not fair when there are so many people who have less than us. But I think we learn to be generous by experiencing generosity ourselves. It's like love. It's not something that we can learn unless we've experienced it. We can't tell anyone to be generous. Kids see our love and sacrifices in the joy of present giving. Perhaps they see God's generosity also. Hopefully, they will want to be generous themselves. This is certainly what I have experienced with my children. Present giving becomes much more important than present receiving. We want to make others happy, and our joy comes from that, rather than from getting the gift we were hoping for. So our generosity is a reflection of God's generosity, which means that we can't just buy gifts without reference to God. If we buy gifts and never mention God, there is a problem. Our kids need to know that God is the source of everything we have. We have to give thanks for everything, and then, in our turn, give to others. Of course, gifts come in many different forms. We can buy or make gifts. We can give of our time. We can do things for people. We don't have to buy lots of things that add to our piles of stuff. We can spend our money on things that will make a true difference in our children's lives. In our family, we have a few Advent traditions which exist alongside the Christmas shopping. As well as buying things, we try and make little daily sacrifices which we call gifts for God. We do things for other people. We pray. We give alms. All these are good for us because they make us less self-centered, but they also benefit other people. Ultimately, these gifts are done for God. That's why we place a piece of straw on the floor of our nativity scene to represent each of our sacrifices. Of course, we can always do better when it comes to being generous. We can give more to charity, help others more, deny ourselves more often, so that we can make someone else happy instead. I don't do these things perfectly and could improve. I could be a better example of generosity for my kids. Something to think about. As you can see, I had lots of thoughts as I was running this morning. I hope some of them make sense. And I guess I have to accept that maybe they don't all make sense. And that's why it's good to hear other people's opinions and discuss these things. 
We can't tell someone to be generous. We can't take our kids' presents from them and tell them that it would be more generous of them if we offered them to people less fortunate than us. If we don't offer the gifts themselves, we could offer the money. But we can't tell our kids that. It's our choice to do those things, to be a good example, to be generous ourselves, to show our kids what it's all about, to discuss these things. But I think our kids learn more by experiencing generosity themselves. Whenever I experience generosity, I feel so grateful, and I want to include everybody in that generosity. I want to share, and hopefully that's what our children will feel if we are generous to them. They won't necessarily become selfish and spoilt and self-centered. They will choose to give up things that they could have for the benefit of other people. So I guess that's all I want to say about that. Now, because Christmas is so near, I think this will be my last podcast for a while. Yes, I'm going to take a break. Take a few weeks to enjoy Christmas with my family. Also, I want to finish up my unschooling book. And then I'll make some plans for another year of podcasting. So if you have any topics that you would like me to talk about, please leave me a comment on my blog or Instagram. And yes, I'll add them to my list. It's always good when somebody asks me to talk about something in particular. I'd much rather talk about something that is of particular interest to someone than just repeat something that I've already spoken about. I will put some show notes on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I also invite you to go over to Instagram if you would like to connect with me there. I will leave a link in the show notes This reminds me of a wonderful comment that I received yesterday on one of my Instagram posts. I shall read it out aloud to you. Yes, practice my reading out loud skills one last time. It was written by somebody called Fairweather Paddler. Hi Sue, just discovered your podcasts, which led me here. My four-year-old is obsessed with Sophie. After hearing her speak on one of the early podcasts, she's going to be so excited when I show her a picture of Sophie. Looking forward to catching up on all the shows. So thank you for leaving that comment. That really made me smile. And it was so exciting to tell Sophie that she has a fan. So I hope you all have a very joyful Christmas. However you decide to celebrate, I hope you have a very relaxing time, a time full of love, full of excitement. Yes, I hope you experience the miracle of Christmas. So thank you for listening today to this episode, episode 144. And until next time, which will be in 2019, don't forget to trust respect and love unconditionally.